Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 277 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have Alexis Gallagher coming to us from San Francisco, California. Hello. California, as I like to say. Alrighty. Um, yeah, so we'll just dig in. Um, so we had an Ask MTJC from Mike Henley. Let me just read it here on Twitter since he's not here to do it for us. Um, he says, as per your previous episode, I'm about 650, so, sorry, 65 thousand words into a novel that was all done on an iPad Pro using the Apple Smart Keyboard using the Ulysses app. Recently added AirPods Pro and Dark Noise app to mix for long form writing at home or at a coffee shop. Were we talking about, Mark, were we talking about writing, using the, I guess we we're talking about using keyboards, right? Various keyboards and, and I think um, maybe uh, Ricky was talking about using a smart keyboard. Were you on that show, Mark? You I don't were? think I was there for that one. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, it's, I guess it's interesting to see that somebody's actually using an iPad Pro yeah. to do type so don't you use an iPad Pro from time to time for like writing and email, that kind of thing? Yeah, oh, I use iPad Pro all the time. It's like between my phone and my iPad is probably where I spend like, you know, the large part of my time. The only thing I'm only thing I use a computer for is Xcode pretty much. Yeah, me too. Um and the social medias and all that kind of stuff, but um, and publishing this show. But I was talking about uh, the fact that I used, like we were talking about the, the scissor switch keyboard versus the butterfly keyboard. Um, they went back to the scissor switch keyboard on the MacBook Pro 16. And so I tried them out at, in the stores when they first came out. And um, But I use, like I was saying in the show, I use, I use like, a, currently using a, an extended keyboard, you know, the aluminum ones from like the, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. I use a, I use the butterfly keyboard at work and I use the, the, the other ones, the older ones on my MacBook whatever's but i also have a keyboard for my ipad pro but i don't i've parked it because i don't really use it that often and um i'm kind of i was kind of curious about touch typing on the glass screen whether whether people who, who are good at touch typing can can do that right so i haven't quite got there yet i wish so. i could do that i 
I have a feeling though, or maybe you guys covered all this. So I'm late to the party. I have a feeling it's one of those things where you need to learn it when you're young, or it's imp- <laughs> or it's impossible. Because I've heard these like amazing stories about how quickly some people can touch type on glass. But yeah. I actually tried oh. to tr- train myself with like a touch typing app, and it just wasn't happening. Do you touch type? I mean, I do on a keyboard, but on glass, no. Like, but on oh, keyboard, okay. yeah. Okay, because because uh, so you, you you missed a few things, but I, I did a couple of talks on on hacking your brain and um, using you know neuroplasticity. You know, I now teach myself new things using those techniques. You know, short forty minute bursts as opposed to like long marathon sessions, and I practice the same things over and over again. And I've been using an app, an online app, to learn how to type, touch type, and I've gotten quite good at it. But the challenge I have is when I switch from like from the keyboards at home to the keyboard in the office, and there I do find I'm, I make more mistakes on the the scissors or the butterfly keyboards. But that just could be different environment, different angle I'm sitting at, and all that kind of stuff, right? But do you uh, actually do significant typing on on your laptop keyboard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. See, I, ne- I never do. I always use an external Bluetooth keyboard. Yeah, see, well, see, I, you sit at, a, at your dinner table. I sit on the couch with the yeah. dog watching TV and my feet up, right? Mm. So, yeah. so a lot of times, I'm, I'm, and that's probably where I'm, I'm learning how to touch type in that position. So that's probably where the issue comes from. But the thing the thing I didn't like about the, the keyboard that I use is is the angle that it's only one angle for the iPad and it's more it's more upright like I should be sitting at a desk, but that's not my, my, um, my usual slouchy kind of style right so i do a lot of uh typing on the smart keyboard for the ipad pro or the yeah. kind of smaller ipad pro and, the, and uh it's great and i end up using it a lot but but i do find that i'm always hitting the change the um input locale button on the bottom left because oh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know why it's right, right there on the very bottom left so if you're not on a perfectly flat surface with your hands like hovering above it because you're sitting just right if you're you know sitting in the back of a car or just grabbed a seat somewhere and start typing it i yeah. hit that a lot and then i, I get this thing popping up saying do you want to switch to emojis do you want to switch to greek do you want to switch it's like no no i just wanted to type in english oh that that's a hardware key um, on, the, on that keyboard right yeah it's a, there's a hardware key uh, with a little uh icon of a globe yeah i, I turn that off on my phone because I, I do that with my phone a lot because I'll, I'll, i usually type with one hand and yeah. um if i have that emoji keyboard on i, I hit it all the time you know it's yeah. between the space and the, the number character thing yeah, I'm th- yeah i was thinking of just uh, shutting off the alternative inputs because it's, it's such a problem and then you know people have complained so much about the lack of a hardware escape key on the um, macbook pros uh I, 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 I hesitate even to mention it because it's so frequently discussed. But where you're really missing an escape key is on that smart keyboard because there, there's no substitute for it. Like, it's just Oh, really? Gone. Oh, yeah. wow. Huh. So if you're in a terminal, uh, all the terminal apps need to have, like, bunky special workarounds to let you do something like escape. Huh, interesting. I did not know that. I, 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 I use a touch bar Mac at the office all the time. And, when, and if I'm in an app that, like Xcode that has an escape key, there actually is a virtual key there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I think it's there in terminal to check, but... Uh, I don't buy the I need to have a hardware key nonsense, you know. I mean, the, the your little global emoji key thing would drive me nuts, though. I, I could see that for sure. Yeah, no, I don't know. I use Emacs a lot. That's my main sort of text editor on um, on the Mac. And that, you know, normally depends on Escape a lot, but you can remap to something else. Or, and it's still there in the touch bar, so it's not the end of Is the world. Is that for Escape for switching input and writing mode and that kind of stuff? Um, you do Escape X if you want to enter a command mode and type the name of a command, but you can remap oh, okay. that to... I, I remap it to Control C because it's then everything's near the home keys and also uh-huh. uh, emap remap caps lock to control as everyone should do who's you know sensible in my opinion um, i just turn caps lock off altogether now you got to move well, this is this is like deep nerd stuff but like if you map it to control then besides <laughs> the fact that emacs works people great, tune in y- you can also then use all of the ancient emacs derived um text manipulation shortcuts that are part of the not only the prompt but any uh, correctly functioning coco text entry field so control mm-hmm. a will take you to the beginning of the line control 
K will erase yeah. everything to the end of the line. Control E will go to the end of the line. Control N will go down. Control P will go up. And then, huh. you know, these are great because they're all basically where your fingers pretty much are. You don't need to go down to the funny little keyboard arrows at the bottom right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you have it off caps lock, then it's very easy to get to. Yeah, that's good to know. I, I, I'm a Unix guy from way back, but so I've only ever used, you know, I think it's Control E and Control A to get to the beginning. I didn't know that I could erase the rest of the line. Yeah, Control K, Control N work, Control P work. I think I wouldn't be surprised if Yank works also, like Control Y or Alt Y. It certainly does in mm-hmm. the prompt, but I don't know. That's one of the hmm. things that whenever there's a new version of Mac OS, um, you often notice that they break that and then they fix it in one of the incremental updates. So, you know, <laughs> someone someone is someone is not aware of the importance of these things, but then someone else is keeping track. And that someone else yeah. is, is who keeps the ship going straight in my view i blame the kids yeah kids. yeah crazy yeah. kids yeah they break all that stuff on like slack yeah i still use vi do you i use ed i don't know what you, <laughs> you guys use are ed? Doing. Yeah. Do we, you, i use ed line based editing man that's what we need yeah well yeah. i'm only yeah. editing one line at a time come on yeah you know yeah, i've been using ed forever my friend ed i wrote an article on that in like 2000 or something anyway all right so we have some follow-up we have one follow-up item it looks like from last week um and well this is from the last couple of shows i should say um and this has to do with our, our sort of search for the perfect Swift UI examples. And uh, I think it's growing more and more. I've been doing a lot, I've, as you know, I've been doing a lot of Swift UI. Those are people who've been listening to the show. Um, headline is seven awesome Swift open source Swift UI projects to inspire you. And uh, I didn't, again, I didn't make the mental connection. These were actually open source. I thought they were actually apps on the app store, but like there's one here called Swift uh, movie Swift UI, which is like a movie trailer kind of, you know, top rated kind of top iTunes top thing. Uh, there's a Reddit client. There's a recipes app, which this is an interesting one because it uses a single state controller to manage all the different views in the app. Um, there's a, there's a uh, extension to the standard Swift UI library. And uh, there's a to-do app, which is pretty pretty basic, pretty simple. But what's cool about these is all of these are, are on are on GitHub, and you can download the source code, and you can sort of paw through how they're they're made. And some of them are quite like the first one, the movie one. I looked at the code earlier today. It's quite extensive in terms of how it's you know split out and. You know, because everybody's sort of saying that, that Swift UI is kind of a toy right now, right? Um, but it seems to have quite a bit of quite a bit of flexibility, and especially when you when you start, you know, getting a bit more abstracted with it. You know, the Fourier uh, series visualizer is so pretty. I was gonna say that's my favorite one by a long shot. Which one is this? Number seven. Oh, the Fourier seven. one. Yeah, I missed that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't scroll far enough. That's just like that's like math porn. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Okay, yeah, so, I really yeah, like so, the uh, the animation with the unit circle there on the side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you now you have to explain this to me because I don't. I don't get it. so the Fourier is the little circly things the the geometry there and then so Fourier like series pencil. is um uh series so it's a sum and it's the it's it's the sum of sine waves of different frequencies and the idea is that if you make an infinite sum of uh, different frequency waves you can build any shape you want so you can re- regard shapes that don't look like they have any periodicity or any smoothness to them as uh, actually what you get when you add up um, a lot of waves of different frequencies and uh, T- technically what you described as a, a Fourier transform uh, if it would to, to take any arbitrary signals, but to make a Fourier right, series, yeah. it does have to be a, a periodic signal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so this yeah. is like, 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 to me, this is like, I go back to my synthesizer days. This is the different waveform types for, for creating synthesis, right? Of sound? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just I, I hadn't looked at the, uh, the first time I looked at this page, it was like a week ago, and I'm looking at it again now, and it's demonstrating different sawtooth and square wave, and I would assume a sine wave would be really boring if they haven't got it here. No, a sine wave wouldn't, wouldn't be boring, actually. I mean, 
yeah. actually what what he is showing is is uh resolving this in terms of of sine waves mm-hmm. yeah oh, every, see, every okay. circle there is a sine wave of a particular yes. frequency so you okay. uh and so having the circles all hinging on each other like this is basically a way of adding up all the sine waves i think i got that right but you can tell, tell me if, yeah. I, if i'm yeah no that's exactly right so so you you add them up with a different uh factor in front an amplitude in front and that's how you create all the different the different ones so if you have something where the largest amplitude is at the lowest frequency like this one which is represented by the the biggest circle going around most slowly then you get something that approximates the uh, a curve with that frequency so the 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 pulses in the in the picture are the the you know the kind of the gross large pulses are at the frequency of that first circle but then all the refinements come in by adding smaller sine waves of higher frequency hmm. and so you can see the circles are getting smaller as as uh, as the frequency goes up if you look at the picture on the left sure yeah yeah cool yes and of course you can download that code and have a look at it too which i didn't do yeah. so <laughs> there's also a, a watch app here i should mention about the swift ui example so yeah it's kind of a cool little page here seven seven examples for you to sort of uh, download and go crazy with i guess these are impressive these yeah. are these are you know substantial looking pieces of work yeah, yeah it's like no no fooling around here seriously yeah. i'd be interested to see what the um kind of persistence and data management and network synchronization story is with these because that's the kind of non-ui bit and how is that a little bit different to fit into the new ui and then also to do app is such a uh, classic proving ground for different kinds of mm-hmm. architectures it would be interesting you could write an article just looking at this to do app and swift ui side by side mm. you know with um, something done with a uh, straight up mvc so tim I haven't, I haven't looked at any of the code but are, are these fully functional apps or are they just kind of the ui part of it as an example no no they're, they're quite quite they're fully, uh, fully extensive yeah yeah and and what i was saying though is when you when you start digging through them it's not like you know the there isn't like one single view in most of these apps. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's broken down into you know uh, different classes and different you know mo- uh, modes and like how you would break out a complicated app to sort yeah. of manage it really. You know? yeah, yeah. Different folders and groups and things like that. Things like models and views and things like that. So there's a lot of structure to them. And as, I mean they're not simple. There's they're they're quite extensive in terms of the number of uh, classes and files in them. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was surprised by that actually when I looked at it. You no, know, because yeah, cool. again, like I've been playing around with with SwiftUI. I haven't really got into building a, a single app yet. But, uh, you know, I've, I've done things like the login view controller and stuff like that. Yep. Just to try and do that, you know, because I'm still playing around with the layout. Yeah. I've been playing around with uh, embedding a collection view using the UI view representable mm-hmm. uh, into Swift UI. It's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, because there still isn't any support. Because there is no actual collection view. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember when collection views came first came out. I was at WWDC when when the, it was two French dudes um, who were, were hired by Apple at that point in time who came up with the idea. And it was it was very, like, you know, held together with bailing billing wire and, and gaffer tape and stuff like that like it was a very strange uh, way of doing it it's kind of like they came up with this idea Apple really liked it hired them you know rolled it into the OS and and uh, it's it's kind of evolved over the years but it, but it hasn't you know it's like a um, it's not as well developed as it's not as easy to use as a table view was right like table views were like from the get-go were pretty simple to use right you threw some data at a thing and you got some table cells right yeah well and, you know uh, if you if you use like the flow the built-in flow layout to do a bridge yeah that's it's pretty easy to use, yeah. yeah, yeah. But using you're right, using a uh, a custom layout is is a little bit a uh, little bit more complicated and has a kind of different way of thinking about things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. the flow layout gives you something like like if you look at the photo app where you've got the tiles, you know, right. tiled images or, or like yep. a Pinterest layout kind of thing. That's pretty simple to do in, in that kind of um, way, but. It's surprised Apple hasn't rolled out more canned layouts because there is so much potential in the way the architecture of Collection View was built. You know, yeah. you could have a 
like people have a CSS gallery, you could have like a layout gallery. I'm sure there's some demo projects like that. But yeah. as you point out, it's a little better hidden than, or I don't know, it's a little less widely known than, than you think it might be. People are usually just subclassing and modifying one of the like two or three main layouts yeah. rather than doing it from scratch. Yeah, but it is super powerful if you if you actually get down under the under the hood. I think a challenge for them is that you know Swift UI, if you read between the lines, it's doing a lot of the stuff that we've been banging our heads against the wall for the last four years. You know, like with auto layout and size classes and all that kind of stuff. They've now sort of made it. You know, you just declare what you want and it magically fits to whatever device you're looking at it on. Which is you know we were struggling with that for many many years, right? Almost yeah, ten I, years of you. I, I, I still think it, it's it's great for simple layouts, but if you start doing real complicated stuff, it gets kind of kind of gnarly. We don't have that much yeah, experience yeah. with it yet, so I, I can't say for sure. Maybe it does get easier as you get you know get used to it and wrap your brain around how it actually works. But yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is where you say that your mileage may vary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but right. Alexis, go back to your point of being surprised why Apple hasn't released more stuff. I, it, it makes me wonder about the question I've been asking for at least six months: is you know why are they still doing stuff with Collection View if Swift UI is the future, right? And at, at mm. this year's WWC, they had it was weird. They had the whole Swift UI track. And then they had a couple of really nice talks about Collection View that were real nice improvements, like this kind of updating data source, you know, almost like, you know, using the PubSub type of approach to, to handling uh, Collection Views using Combine and all that. And, and it, I'm just like, well, which is it? You know, which way are we going? Is it worth investing time in collection views? Are they going to be around in a year? I, I who knows. Well, they were using combine everywhere too, right? Like they yeah. were putting, they were using combine in these collection view kind of stuff as well, right? Right, right. And they had like because they had, I went to one combine talk and it was kind of like, oh, here are the really, you know, here are the really gnarly ways of dealing dealing with combine, and then just use Swift UI and it becomes simple. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I don't, I, I don't think they know either, to be honest. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, a big, it's a big company. You're going to have people who are excited to work on the new thing and are very optimistic about it and are pushing it forward. And you're going to have other people who are uh, refining and extending something that works quite well and is relied on, you know, across hundreds of millions of devices every day and see that as a sensible use of time too. And yeah, yeah, we don't really know right. what the future is going to hold. You know, if, yeah. if, if Swift UI turns out to uh, obviously and clearly be a better and more productive way to produce really polished results, then I'm sure they'll start to put more resource and time behind that. And that will be how they build new things when there's an option to do it. But we'll see. We'll see. It'll be yeah. interesting to see. I, I still wonder if the if the collection view team that was building all that stuff even knew that Swift UI existed until WWDC <laughs> and were they as surprised but as the rest of us. Some some of the Apple people I talked to said they don't hear about things until they actually go to WWDC. Yeah, right? yeah you, hear that, you hear that a lot. Well, famously yeah. that was the case with Swift itself. With Swift so itself, right. Many, many yeah. people who you know were surprised by it uh, within the organization. Well, that said, the I just saw a tweet today, the, the team, uh, the Swift UI team is hiring Swift UI framework engineers, so if, if you're interested Maybe you can tag along. I'll post a link in the show notes. Definitely an exciting right. time for that kind yeah. of work. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, so when um, the next sort of topic that came up here on, on my radar is uh, mini LED and micro LED. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at any of this stuff. Um, this is they're saying that, of course, it's a more efficient, you know, brighter, better blacks, all that kind of all those sort of things about um, micro LED comparing it against to OLED. Um, this is more for they're targeting this more for larger displays because apparently 
lining these guys up are, is a little tricky. Um, but it's it's almost like an LED per pixel is is how small these guys get. Um, so the rumor is that uh, it'll probably be coming out in the next 16-inch MacBook, uh, which they just literally released, and um, and the iPad Pro models, which where they'll they'll come in with these. So do you guys know anything about the L- uh, this LED tech at all? I do not, but it's pretty to look at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The graphic is for sure. Um, yeah, I can read through the article here. Just like I, I think I pretty much hit some of the main, main points. Um, uh, it's it's better better backlighting. Like most of your TVs and monitors that you're looking at these days, your flat panel TVs, they have a series of, like a, an array of LEDs, and that's how that was backlights the picture. Um, and you know, it's a sad day when your, your HD TV when when one of the banks of arrays dies or gets you know damaged or whatever, and, and you lose you know brightness on one part of the panel because um, then you have to go get a new TV because it's cheaper to buy a new TV than it is to get that board fixed. Um, but I speak from experience. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, this is the, the newest uh, technology in terms of uh, where they're going with with um, with brightening our lives. With these so thirty screens. times bright, greater brightness. I wonder what that translates to in terms of subjective experience. Because I feel like monitors, certainly mm. the, you know the ones we have on portable devices, have passed the threshold where the resolution is meaningful. Right? Like better resolution is not something I'm going to notice. Um, but brightness. I could imagine that being dramatic in some contexts. I don't know. Like a part of me is thinking maybe I'm just not the most eyeball-y type person, but part of me feels like displays are done. Like they're so good now. Like what, what what's the new thing that would be appreciated? Yeah, it's interesting. Like if I can use movies as a metaphor, I, I saw when I saw The um, Last Jedi, I saw it at, in the same theater. I saw it twice on two different nights. And the first night I saw it on the IMAX screen, which is a big, giant, you know, well-lit, beautiful, modern cinema experience with digital linear projection. Right, and the second night I went back and I watched it on what was the original DL, digital linear projector cinema in Toronto, and it was dim and dark and, and really hard to see. And I and I said to the people sitting next to me, like like this is like a completely different movie mm. because the the screen technology was so bad or the illumination technology was so bad the second night that it was it, it made the movie almost unwatchable. Like there's so many scenes where it's you know, dark and dusty and you know like and rain pouring down and you know people wearing black talking to pe- other people wearing black and you know it just it just like that's where i would think you need that kind of really heavy you know yeah. high resolution display the 4k and all that kind of stuff yeah right? well i think it's more contrast than the, than yeah. the resolution right so what, what's the dynamic range of, of the light that you can get out well they're also yeah. talking about the fact that these have deeper blacks and so you can get that, that's right exactly color, yeah. Right? yeah yeah your contrast ratio is one of the one yeah of the, high, the points here higher character contrast ratio higher brightness deeper blacks power efficient less power, prone to burn in power efficient is a huge one yeah, if you can, you know, reduce the amount of power. LEDs themselves are, are very, very efficient. Uh, so, so if you can reduce the power, then that, that increases your battery life, etc. It's just all around good. I think another thing is is uh, is the, the switching or response time. So how mm-hmm. how quickly do they turn on and off? And yeah, you know, if you've ever seen like a like a, a monitor where it's kind of streaky and things kind of don't move really as fast as you think they should in the movie, that's that's probably because the, the the display response time isn't that great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know. We were ta- we talked about this on on Spotcast, but and Tom Cruise had a PSA that he did with a, another film.
filmmaker that people don't know this, but the the, the LED TV or the, the high definition televisions you watch today have a special mode in them that that kind of corrects for artifacts that you would that would 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 make your brain go nuts if you if you saw them. Really? So they have this way of like and and what he what Tom Cruise was saying was it literally that is that would be fantastic if it were actually true or or at the risk of insanity except there's a TV setting <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like stopping us all from like uh, our, our minds from like pinwheeling into the like deranged like dimension well it's driving tom cruise nuts let's put it that way right (laughs) so and and so and i actually did try it i did try it out because i was watching like an old movie from from the like i think i was watching uh future world right with that with Mm -hmm. yule brenner on it right and my television has this setting i have a a, uh what is that thing the sharp i think or samsung right and it's got this special mode in it you have to go into the you have to go deep into the system settings and find this special video mode and what it does is it kind of adds like if you look at frame by frame the the movie you're watching it puts distorts the image to kind of average out the it's like a like a, a motion smoothing kind of thing mm-hmm. right like if you're watching a car go by you know you you know you want to have a nice smooth transition as it goes whipping by not sort of have it choppy and have artifacts and stuff like that right um and so what this does so what tom cruise's complaint was as a filmmaker he wants you to see each individual frame of the movie as it was shot right not smooth not out. have this algorithm go in and, and clean it up for you right <laughs> yeah okay so wait, so so tom cruise wants them to turn off the thing that's keeping he, he wants you to go going. into your tv and turn off this special fancy setting yeah yeah he wants he wants his raw pixels to arrive in your brain and make you go crazy and like secretly reboot your the like yeah. firmware of your consciousness buy more popcorn through, through yeah. your optical nerve and then he's gonna you know have you buy puppets or something and they will all become scientologists and he'll be happy right well so, yeah okay. i was gonna I was, I was about to say that you, know, you might want to take this part <laughs> well, now of the show come but, after yeah, exactly. They're against um, what are those? You know, the uh, what are what are the drugs that people take for the like antidepressant? Yeah, that kind of, that stuff. They're they're against all that stuff too. So they I are? guess they're yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. And, yeah. So they think you should do Scientology instead of taking oh. antidepressants. So they're apparently in favor of people being a little more insane. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You probably should yeah, cut they, that out before we get people knocking on our doors. Oh, I don't know. Well, we talked about it on this podcast. Nobody's no, and nobody listens to this show. Come on, give me a head shake. So we're fine. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll think about cutting it. Anyway. Yeah, but like, yeah, there's this technology that will smooth your images out. Anyway, I'll, I'll look it up in a minute. But um, what's next here? So, yeah. So the next thing is this rumor, another rumor about uh, 2020. And this, uh, I have a question for you guys since you're in the States. And I heard that, I think it's T-Mobile's rolled out uh, 5G already. Do you guys see that? Um, this I, one I, is... I don't have T-Mobile, but I... But I do see on my AT and T, I get this uh, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. 5G, faux 5G. You know, they're pretending to be 5G stuff. So this dude, Samik Ch- uh, Chatterjee, um, via CNBC, or is it JP Morgan analyst? Sorry, is talking about the fact that he thinks that Apple's going to come out with four different phones next year in their in their next fall lineup for 2019. So this is the iPhone. I'm doing air quotes iPhone 12 because we don't know what it's going to be called yet. Um, but one of the things it's going to have is, is a different type of uh, like another iteration of OLEDs. So we're going to end up with a 5.4, 6.7, and a 6.1-inch device. Is that what we have now? I can't remember. Where's Jaime when you need him? Yeah, 
Yeah, I but, forget now. But he was also talking about the different uh, 5G technologies, and he has, I'm just going to look at them up here. One of them is, it, again, thinking that they're going to use Qualcomm's modems because I guess Apple's on the outs with um, with uh, Intel. But um, there's two technologies, one called MM Wave, where two lowercase m's and a couple capital W. So MM Wave is one. And uh, and this one called Sub 6G, Sub 6 Gigahertz uh, Spectrum. Um, and so they're th- he's thinking that the higher phones, like the Pros, would have this MM Wave uh, type 5G. And, and to make the other phones cheaper, they will use this lower, lower well, less sophisticated, you know, um, 5G technology, right? And and the challenge for these this technology as well is at, at the current time is that they would have to have a second antenna for this MM Wave um, uh, type 5G. So uh, let's see. And they're also saying that, you know, the, the article also implies that, that Apple will make the lower phones match the sort of equivalent Android specs. Um, it also described changes to the release cycle, like releasing two in the first half of the year and then two in the later half yeah. of the year. That seems yeah, like in this a article here. More, more startling thing to believe. Yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah. So they're think- saying in the last paragraph, they're talking about six total phones, four in September 2020 right. and then right. two more in 2021. That's a lot. Do you guys interact with your phone often, though, and feel like the problem with it is that it doesn't have enough bandwidth? I find I find that when I have a, a good data connection, it's fine. But most of the time when I'm on the Spo 5G, I basically get nothing. Yeah. So it's, it's worse than 4G. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm on T-Mobile and they, they haven't told me about 5G. And I don't, I don't think there's any 5G in San Francisco. So. Yeah. Wherever they're rolling it out, they're they're uh, they're keeping it a good secret, as far as I know. Yeah, I, I mean, I I've been in San Francisco a number of times, but I hear that the the service in San Francisco isn't great. Like, there's a data service or cell service in general. Yeah, is that same in San Jose, Mark? For sure, for AT and oh, yeah? at least. Well, it depends on the carrier. AT and T yeah. is pretty mediocre. Well, see, for me, above ground is fine. I, I don't seem to have any issues when I'm you know traveling around the city or or if I'm sitting at a desk with Wi-Fi. But we I work in the financial sec- sector, so I'm underneath these huge skyscrapers. And if I'm down in the bowels, like at a, in a cafeteria or something like that, um, some places I can't get a signal at all. And yet the guy sitting next to me, is, he's on a different carrier and he's got a great signal. Yeah, you know? yep, I get that a lot. So, yeah. So, but I mean, that that's sort of my only complaint about it. But I do know that when I was when I was traveling, when I was driving around and doing consulting and stuff like that, and I was on a phone call with somebody, as certain parts of the city, you would hit these dead zones and your, your call would drop, right? Um, but uh, that's because you're switching between towers, right? Obviously, but that's the whole idea behind cell towers. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, for me, it's not bad. I don't. I don't know if we're maybe got a better. We got this big giant CN tower thing too. Maybe that's helping. I'm not sure. You know. But, I think uh, yeah, incremental improvements on things like bandwidth and screen at this point are boring, kind of, because like the screens are so good. Yeah. I mean, the bandwidth. The question is, well, does it n- enable some qualitatively new thing? Like I like jack the phone right into my neck, and then it connects to my like optic <laughs> nerve, and now I'm in a kind of the, I'm in the holodeck, and for that yeah. I need more bandwidth. Like okay, for that like sign me up to at least try it. But if it's like, okay, my YouTube videos are going to prefetch an extra 10 minutes of their content, ah, like, who cares? Like, I, I, maybe I'm just getting, maybe I'm an old fuddy-duddy or something. I'm not that old, but it seems like th- the phones are so good on these performance metrics that, that incremental improvements on them aren't what's going to make it stand out. Yeah, I think I agree. Like, I, I don't think I've, I, I think what I was trying to say is I don't think I've noticed any bandwidth issues at all. Like when I'm traveling around the city, looking at YouTubes or whatever, looking at movie trailers and things like that. But I, I don't watch 
watch movies and stuff like that on my, my device or stream them as I'm traveling around the city. But uh, I've had, yeah. you know, just with T-Mobile here in San Francisco, I can walk from my house to work and maintain a video conver- conversation that is pretty oh, yeah. solid all the way through. So yeah. I'm not sure what else I'm going to do, like maintain two simultaneously, uh, you know, in different with more incoming streams, I guess. But Play no, it's, Fortnite it's, while you're having a, a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't yeah. like, what am I going to run like a serious like BitTorrent node on my phone while I'm walking around? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, there's wow. th- there's enough. We've all forgotten the days of edge technology when you couldn't have, you couldn't send a text message and be on the phone call at the same time. Remember those <laughs> days? Yeah. <laughs> Kids, you have no idea what is going on. Uh, that was not long ago. That was just over 10 years ago, right? No, I know it wasn't that, yeah, but, but, you know, for, yeah. for kids who are just getting their phone no, now. Just, yeah. 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 I remember, I remember when I used to have to actually, you know, walk, walk across the room to change a channel on a television, you know? Oh, yeah. Cause yeah. it was this kind of mechanical clicker switch that you had to yeah. go and turn on the TV. Yeah. I remember sparks. that. And, and you exactly. sort of like lay down on the floor in front of the television that way, like part of you was like closer to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, did you ever change a channel with your toes? I think I did. I think I did. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, did don't, I don't know. If, I, don't I know. know it's my did, usual strategy, you know? but I'm sure I've, I've done that at least once. Yeah. And you had the two, you had the two uh, knobs, the like, uh, the like high, the high digit channels, like channel 30, channel 60, yeah. and the like two, four, five, seven, nine on the top. Yeah. Now I get annoyed when the Apple remote on my Apple TV watching experience, and it, you know, I and I go to pause the show, and it ends up grabbing the slider and fast forwarding or rewinding. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah. If you can't or slide like you, the slider you, to you, exactly you, the right spot, it's annoying. You, talk you want to go to back it, ten seconds. You, you say know? like, play the third episode of The Mandalorian, and then it doesn't understand the show you're talking about, and you're like, what yeah. the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want my baby Yoda. Our, we have we have, our Alexa always mis- misunderstands what we say, and it starts playing this this heavy metal music, and we we're trying to like you know, of course, it's not our thing, but it's trolling you, man. It's trolling you. It's all deliberate, you know. And what are we saying to this thing that that yeah, someone in Amazon the, headquarters is like is listening to the whole thing, this. messing with you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, boomer, we got your music right here. Um, all right, uh, let's see. So the next two stories are kind of so there was an event, right? We we're, were going we were looking forward to this event. Nobody knew what the event was going to be, and it turned out to be wah, wah, Apple Music Awards and Apple Games. Um, so Apple handed a bunch of awards. They they had they created their own new music award show, which is interesting because a few days later, Spotify did the same thing, right? So maybe Apple wants to get into this sort of Academy Awards, you know, kind of routine of giving away, you know, giving away top music prizes. Um, Billie Eilish won just about everything, apparently. She had three top things. And um, and they handed out these, um, I guess, like it's like a 12-inch silicone platter as, a, as an award to people. So I didn't watch any of this. I don't know if you guys have heard, even heard about this or care about it. Yeah. Um, so that that is actually a, a, a wafer, right? Yeah, That's, I know. It's a, it's a silicone wafer, yeah. Yeah, those are actually chips. Well, those are rejects uh, from the a, a, A11 chip, right? Oh, yeah. Is that how they A11? <laughs> they may be. I don't know. What, what yeah. does that say about how they really think of music if we, we use our, like, discarded computer components as awards right. for the musicians? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny, though, because, like, I have I know a few musicians who, who are, you know, they're suffering because of the, the way digital music works now because, you know, they used to make pennies when they sold CDs, right? Now they make fractions of pennies when you download a song, you know? And it takes them forever to get paid. That's They're not making these. it up in volume. <laughs> 
No, well, let me, that's the thing. Like, if you go to if you if you have a, a this is my my PSA for people. If you have a band that you like, go to the show that where they're playing, buy the T-shirt and buy the CD at the kiosk because that money goes to the artist's pocket, right? All this Apple, iTunes, and Spotify and uh, clicking through the ads and YouTube, whatever, they're not getting anything out of that. They're, or they're getting so so little out of it. Drake, for instance, Toronto's Toronto's own Drake apparently won the Spotify award for the top down top most down downloaded person or artist in the last decade right so yeah he's not hurting he's sitting side you know side what do you call it courtside at the raptors game every every week right but other musicians not so much right i have to say if you look though at this nine to five article with the headline photo of those like weird wafer chips and in the like metal frames and then look at billy ellish's face she looks like she agrees with actually everything you're saying she looks like she's in a state of like distress and uh (laughs) you know despair and she's so over it she has this kind of like rolling her eyes while barely holding her head up with her hands kind of look like she yeah. she knows she knows that, that, that it's rigged the irony of it right exactly. yeah they, they probably spent more money on on the award than, than most artists will make in their lifetime you know anywho yeah and unfortunately that's why concerts are so expensive these days it, it's you know it costs uh, can be a couple hundred bucks for a concert ticket now when it used to be 20 bucks yeah alrighty uh, so the next yeah the next article which I was talking about is, is the um, the uh, best apps and games awards that Apple's given out. I don't know if you guys had a look at any I of I had a look things. at that. The thing I noticed yeah. is that there's, it's mostly games. So when, yeah. Apple, when Apple gives out awards now for apps, you know, and games, they're actually giving out five awards to games out of nine total apps and games. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, interesting because I mean, well, I mean, I think, is this part of their promoting the Apple Arcade as well? There is an arcade app here as, as one of their, one of their rewards, but the arcade game of the year. Arcades, Apple Arcade's been out for what? Four months, you know, and we have a game of the year already. Yeah. You know, we need Jaime here to talk about the games but this Gris game have you, I think I played Gris before but I thought it was on was it on my Mac I can't remember I've been thinking about yeah. getting Apple Arcade for my uh, kid actually uh, because yeah. he, he, he's gotten obsessed with the idea of buying a gaming mouse even though he doesn't really have a computer that's like suitable for using a gaming mouse right. and doesn't play any games on his How computer old is he? Uh, he's 10. Um, 10 so he plays like Minecraft on this like old MacBook Air and, yeah. and this uh, web game called Slither.io where you're just this like giant worm like rolling around trying to like eat other worms and for this he wants a gaming mouse and i was like well, you know for the same money as this ridiculous gaming mouse like maybe you could get like we could do apple arcade for a year and you could get a controller for it but mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. But i started looking into this to see uh, well like could we just use a controller that works for the nintendo switch um would yeah. that also work uh we already have a nintendo switch would that also work with all the apple stuff uh, and, and it's sort of puzzling, actually, because when I first looked at this, the answer seemed clearly to be no. Like, all of Apple's mm-hmm. communication says you can use a PS4 controller, or you can use an Xbox controller, or you can use any of these Apple controllers. And then uh, and I went on Reddit. Yeah, yeah. And then, then mm. I went on Reddit, and people were like, no, can't use the Switch controller. But then oh. um, I was actually talking to Apple Tech Support about some other issue. The guy, sa- uh, the guy said, do you have any other questions? And I just thought I'd throw out this question of, like, oh, can you use, can you use a Switch controller? He's like, oh, yeah, sure, that works. Hmm. Uh, oh. and, I was, and I literally was sitting there Typing. This was on the Apple chat with their text. I was like, wait, what? Are you sure? You mean this controller? And I sent him an Amazon link to the Nintendo Switch Pro controller, which is like the wireless controller. He's like, oh yeah, no, that works. I, I play Fortnite with it on my iPad Pro every day. Dude, um, yeah. Oh, he did. So yeah. Yeah, he did. So he seemed to actually know what he was talking about, um, which mm. makes me wonder if all the people on the internet saying you can't do it are just people who haven't tried. And well, yeah, I don't know. So I lost, I lost my two grandsons to the Windows world. Right? I'm sorry. Because of gaming, right? Because they 
they can they they're now building their own machines and they they swear by them. Um, yeah, and I just I just have to walk away. <laughs> they they go, you should get a PC. They're so much better than Max. I'm like, does it run Xcode? Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye. You know, but uh, yeah, I, I I wonder about your son who's ten now. Once he a couple more years, you may be buying a PC for him. Well, that's why I need to keep him. That's why I need to keep him well uh, equipped with well, like, non non PC equipment so he can like. Yeah. Also, I don't. Yeah, you know, I, f- I feel like uh, the Apple Arcade seems to be the most Nintendo Switchy. Yeah. Or, or Nintendo is, is the most Apple-y of the like game providing companies. Yeah, I think that having having sort of gone, my wife knows more about the gaming than I do actually, or not believe it or not. But um, uh, there's, I mean, there's that that uh, what's it called? Um, there's an online gaming thing, a Twitch or Steam. something like that, or Steam. Steam. Oh, there's also that, Twitch. There's also Twitch. But Steam, Steam, like there's Steam controllers you can get, which are, are they look just like you know sort of a amalgam of a PlayStation and a or PS4 and a, and a, a Xbox controller, right? And they they use Bluetooth and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's kind of the technology that works. Alexis is is that it, it's not so much that the things devi- designed for this, but these are like you know it's got like a D pad on the one side and buttons on the other, and they're they they talk to your your um your game platforms, whatever whether it's an Xbox or a PlayStation or um in this case your iPad. Um, they talk through Bluetooth, and then it depends on how whatever hooks are in in the software to be able to basically make it work, right? Yeah, well that's what when I, when I dug more, I found some people on Reddit saying like it just presents as a normal Bluetooth game controller. So if you go into the right setting, then surely you mm. can use the Nintendo Switch controller. Well, but then I, it, have an, but, I have a Nintendo Switch right here. Uh, let's see. Do you know what the setting would be? I would check. Well, it's not to use the Joy-Cons on the Switch, but you to, have to use, pair the, it with Bluetooth use the iPad. Nintendo's game controller, the like external one you get for Nintendo Switch. Oh, see if you can okay. talk that. Yeah, okay. See, see if you can that. get that talk to iPads too. Um, because what's puzzling is that Apple clearly announced that you could do it with PS4s and Xboxes. And if they're all using exactly mm-hmm. the same Bluetooth profile or you know device Similar, uh, yeah. configuration profile, then why didn't they also mention you could do this with Nintendo Switch Pro controllers? Because there's as, there's plenty of Nintendo Switches out there. It's not exactly a failed system. No, it's most, one of the most popular ones. So maybe it doesn't work, or it only works for Fortnite when this guy uh, at Apple <laughs> plays it, or um, it works or really he's well. Got the, he's got the special internal Apple build that lets him use it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. It's just, yeah. just a customer support fellow. Yeah. You didn't get his, his name or his email or whatever so you can follow up with him? Or you have um, a case number? His name is Matt, but that's as much as I know. <laughs> I don't want to... I didn't get anything else. I'm going to give it a try, though, or if I can. I, I don't know. Mm. Maybe someone else knows. Well, fans of the show, you know, ask MTJC. Let us know. Hit us up. Let us know what you're doing. Anyone who has a controllers. Nintendo Switch and is thinking of buying a controller, maybe you could get one that also works with the Apple stuff and save yourself. Yeah, maybe Jaime knows. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure Jaime knows. But he's not here, so yeah. what good is he? What good is he? Um, all right. So, yeah, let's let's carry on with your with your stuff here, uh, Alexis. you got a couple of things you've added. HomeKit. We do care about HomeKit, of course we do. The one and Yeah, I was wondering. Kit. Maybe I'm the only person who cares about it, but um, I, I noticed around Black Friday that there was some news around more things being announced that will support new HomeKit functionality eventually. Like, the Eros were on sale. I got this uh, Orbi mesh router, which has been not that great, so I, I was kind of tempted by the Eros. And the Eros offer this new mm-hmm. HomeKit router integration, which mm-hmm. I didn't exactly understand what it was when Apple announced it, but it seems to be just that it makes it really easy to segregate all the IoT devices on your network from everything else on your network. Like, that's what the the HomeKit will help you keep all the HomeKit stuff not uh, possibly compromising other devices on your network, as near as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I have a number of HomeKit devices. I thought it was HomePod for some reason, but yeah, I know I have a number of HomeKit devices around the house, like my August Lock is a HomeKit compatible thing, and um, and do you around run the a subnet? Or have you, like, gone, like, full nerd and, like, set up partition networks so that no. the, you know, three dozen random, tiny, you know, never properly updated devices in your home don't uh, 
serve as portals to like uh, attack your computer or your NAS or something? Um, not as such. <laughs> well, neither have I, I, I but I've always thought I should do this, but then it always seemed like a lot of work also. Yeah, it gets back into what I was doing before, which is networking and never was fun. I mean, I do have, I do have um, my Apple network is inside of my, my Bell network. Bell is our provider. Okay. Um, so I have, I have sort of a, a network address. I have a network sort of firewall-y kind of situation where they're, they're not, it's not, you can't really route to it from outside, right? Right. Um, so yeah, because it's what's called double knotted, which is a no-no in networking, but it works for me. I'd, I'd rather know yeah. that everything inside the house can communicate and everything outside of the house is not, not you know, accessible sort of thing, right? It means I can't, I can still talk to my air, my home kit devices through my phone when I'm out of the house because, because of the magic of iCloud, right? Right. But otherwise, you know, I don't think that, uh, like I have the Philips light bulbs and stuff like that. And um, I got my first one of those a little while ago and then I'm starting to think yeah. about getting more. But I've just, I just noticed that I've been gradually accumulating lots of HomeKit stuff, a lot of which is also Alexa compatible. Yeah. And for a while, I know there wasn't much HomeKit stuff because Apple was being really stringent about security requirements for them. Yeah. And right. then at some point, they just threw in the towel and allowed people making these peripherals to do it in software. And then a lot of these peripherals started sprouting support for HomeKit. Like the Wemo um, plugs are quite cheap and they're good. Are they now? Okay. That's good yeah, they're like, I don't know, they were like $15 or Black Friday or quite, quite relatively cheap. And so I, I kind of understand why Apple is possibly reducing the security requirements for these peripherals because I don't want um, Amazon to gobble up the whole market. But at the same time, every time I add one of these like random made a thousand miles away devices um, into my home, I'm kind of wondering which is going to be the one that later turns out to be a terrible idea. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm well, kind of interested. I, I've been thinking like maybe I should like set up a ubiquity um, kind of unify network and manually set up, you know, separated subnets. And, and then I just think, like, well, that, that, that's, that sounds a lot like work. So I never actually yeah. want to do it. So I'm kind of tempted by um, maybe this is my excuse to get euros and the new home kit thing will work. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm the only one having this worry or if it's a, if it's a reasonable thing. Uh, it's, it's not, I don't think, I don't think the caution there, caution about um, IOT uh, is, is unwarranted, right? I mean, we will all experience, you know, the bad things developers can do on our phones and our Macs and stuff and our Windows devices, right? So I think there, there is a lot of room for error. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I do, I do think you want to protect yourself from, from that kind of stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. So you're talking about Eero, the Eero's the, the network, the, ma- the mesh network thing? You yeah, were, Eero is the house? very well-reviewed and widely liked uh, mesh router system that was later uh, bought by Amazon, because although it seems to be a fantastic product, I guess it wasn't such a fantastic business that they were uh, yeah. making it on their own. Um, well, look at me, I have a Nest thermostat, and of course it's been gobbled up by Google now, right? So Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's not necessarily bad. It all depends on if the original product team sticks together and has a reason to stay there, or if, if things change or they don't get what they're hoping for. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out in five years whether we, we were, we're dumb or not. <laughs> like yeah, said, right? or, yeah, or we won't find out. We'll just have some mysterious identity theft incident. Yeah, I tend to think that, for me, I think that I, I like to sleep at night with the idea that HomeKit is kind of connecting all my devices, right? And and if the door automatically, if the door unlocks in the middle of the night, you know, my devices will alert me because HomeKit does that, right? Um, whereas the actual individual apps don't necessarily do that, right? But you, so you don't worry that the fact that it's now possible to open your door from far away if you conduct a successful cyber attack makes you less secure overall? Are you trying to freak me out here, Alexa? <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, here's the thing that happened to me, right? Um, I was at a soccer game uh, watching my, my, my daughter play soccer, standing there next to my wife. She was like whacking away at her phone to like try to take a picture. And then she's like, oh no, I just opened the front door. <laughs> <laughs> and she not only unlocked the front door, but also managed to open it because like the door jam wasn't like super tight. So oh, I think, wow. I think, I think she hadn't, you know, 
you know, pulled the door all the way shut. She'd only locked it. So then when you, when you unlocked it, the door just like swung open. And then like, sure enough, it was like, well, how did you do that? Like, why, why did you do that? Um, but it was because she was trying to dismiss some things to go away. And then like, you know, the last app pops up and she pushes it and then it's too late. And then I immediately like got in the car, drove home. Uh, sure enough, the door was wide open, closed it, locked it, and then started thinking, is it really so great that we're able to do this that easily? <laughs> Um, and that's, and then stuff like that. And then I was thinking, you know, oh, we have this annoying old, uh, garage door opener. Shouldn't I get like a home kit one? But every time I'm adding a new way that it's possible to enter my home through a software configuration error, I have to think I'm doing something slightly stupid. Um, yeah. Yeah. If your wife can open it, Vladimir Putin can too. That's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, I don't know. It's the same Maybe time. you need to get the camera so you can watch the thief walking up. Yeah. The home kit. <laughs> yeah. And they have this too, cause we have like a canary camera and I'm paying some amount of money for them to like hold on to video. And I'd rather have Apple hold on to the video and oh, well, have yeah. it go on servers that I'm already, um, you know, paying for. So the, so the home kit camera thing also sounded theoretically cool and thereby anchor. And I like anchor. They make good stuff. Yeah. They do seem to. Yeah. And then I started to go nuts and think, well, I've, I've, I've been super careful to get only things that can work with home kit, but I have this Amazon Alexa. Maybe I should dump it and, uh, you know, actually just get a home pod, even though no one else seems to use them. You don't have a home pod. No, no, I yeah. got an echo early cause I was doing a development project with it. And then, um, right. Yeah. So I don't have a home pod. We started with it with a Google Home, and I just like I said, I, just, I had it unplugged for six months because I just recently plugged it in, and we switched over to the Alexa, and it's much better. Um, we seem to have less arguments with it, other than the, the heavy metal music, you know, when we don't want it. But um, Mark has a HomePod, and the I have home a HomePod, too. but I don't yeah. use it as a as a uh, personal assistant or anything. I, I just use it for the as a speaker. Hmm. So I have an uh, Amazon Echo device, but I've realized we only use it for asking what time it is, setting a timer, and turning lights on and off. That's it. That's like a hundred percent of it. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. And then next to it, I have an old um, uh, Airport Express connected yeah. to a speaker. So I could take all three of those things and put in a HomePod in principle. Hmm. I recommend it. I mean, if, if you uh, are interested in high quality music, I mean, it's it sounds great. Hmm. Um, but it's probably I, I'm secure. actually thinking about getting a second one because I'm, I'm told that if you get the two with the stereo pairing, it's it's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I've been seeing that the, the Black Friday prices have been like something like 200 bucks for them. So I'm really, really? tempted to just go buy one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Not here. Yeah, they oh. were 200 it was 250 normally and down to 200 for Black Friday. Yeah. Wow. I guess that sales over. Speaking of amazing, Mark, have you heard the 2019 remix of Abbey Road? I have not. You know, Giles, um, uh, what's it, the fifth Beatles name? Um, Martin? Which fifth, which fifth Beatle? Uh, well, George, George, George Martin. Martin. Well, he died, right? Yeah, but Giles Martin, his son, has, oh, has, oh. All, has all the tapes, right? He okay. just put he just put out a, it's called, I think, a super duper edition or whatever it's called of Abbey Road. Now, listen to it earlier. Oh, really? Uh, yesterday. And... Um, I was arguing with my Apple Music, of course, when I was doing it. But the separation of each individual sound is amazing. And he's and he's brought up levels on things. Like, you know, because if you, the old analog days, you know, yeah. recording got a bit muddy, right? As, as he transferred from tape to tape to tape to tape and then eventually to a, to a, a record or a CD, right? Uh-huh. But he's gone in and he's actually separated all the stuff and you listen to it. And it's crystal clear. The vocals are really, you have great dynamic range on them. And it sounds like a completely, completely new album. I'm looking it up right now. I'm going to have to check mm-hmm. that out. Is it on Apple Music? It's on Apple Music and Spotify. Spotify. I, for some reason, I thought it sounded better on Spotify, but then I was arguing with my Apple Music, so that may be why. Hmm. Yeah. The only, the only annoying thing about Spotify is he talks about what he the songs in between the tracks. Oh, that's kind of lame. But well, only on Spotify, it, though, right? On Spotify, yeah. Okay. On Apple Music, okay. it just plays it straight.
straight through, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, speaking of amazing, does he do you it guys in the are actually proper. Movie? I forgot. You guys are proper music people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does it. You know, the the side two of of Abbey Road is like Here Comes the Sun, and then it's like the big long. It's yeah, not the, the medley is apparently only from Golden Slumbers till the end, but oh, the okay. other songs, yeah. Polity and Pam, and all that kind of stuff, they all kind of blend together. They all segue to get segue together. So it's like one big long medley, right? He talks between those tracks. Oh that's, my god, that's that's not acceptable. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of the George Lucas school of Guido shoots first, you know, music yeah. editing, right? It, the Did super guys... deluxe edition, edition is that the one? Yeah, the one. Yeah, super duper deluxe edition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, give that a listen. Don't do it now. But wait till no, after the show. Yeah. So, well, Alexis, also, you got some uh, some random rants and possible topics here. Well, well, speaking on the on the uh, proper listening to music topic, I, I've been I noticed that it's now too late to order engraved AirPods Pro for Christmas if you wanted for to Christmas. get them for somebody. Mm. Really? Um, huh. Where would they write the name? Like they're so small. Well, so about a month ago, I, I was trying to decide should I get them because I spend so much time listening to stuff on AirPods and I use them for mm-hmm. like video calls and I use them for listening to podcasts. And, but then I have this problem of like, well, I don't really need new AirPods. My current AirPods work fine and it's like $250. So then I came up with the compromise of like, I know, I'll buy them for my wife right, <laughs> as a gift for Christmas, right? Um, and then you'll use them? Well, but then I was like, well, I'm getting them for her so I should get like, you know, an engraving to be nice, right? And uh, and I, 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 ordering then they would arrive before Christmas. So then I did this, but then I was having conversations with her at one point. She's like, "Oh, don't get me AirPods." <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> but it's like, oh no, but I've already got you AirPods. When I'm, but I only got them because I really wanted them. <laughs> I don't want it to be near someone else who had them. <laughs> Did you get them engraved? Well, yeah, I placed an order to have them engraved for her. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Um, and, and then I've been thinking like how much I need them because if I, cause like one of the problems I realize now with my current AirPods is like, I'm listening, I'm doing dishes or whatever, listening to a podcast. And then she says something to me and I have to take off my AirPods before I can hear what she said. So I have to ask her to say it right. again. And isn't that right. rude? But if I had the AirPods with transparency mode, it would be better for her, you see, because it would be like, I'd be more polite to my, to my wife, to everyone else who's speaking to me. Mm. Um, yeah, that'll work. To- <laughs> or you could just turn the music down too. That's the other option, right? So all of this sort of makes sense, but the fact is, I, I you know I've already got them engraved for her, so I don't think I can really talk. <laughs> about, I don't think all of these arguments like add up to a producing a to producing a pair of AirPods. Right? How would you? What would you get them engraved for yourself with? I would probably just be really boring and put my email address or phone number there or something oh. under the vain hope that then they might find their way back to me when I lost them one day. Right, right, right. Huh. I wonder how many how many of these things have been lost. I was, I've seen people run down the street and fall out of their pocket and explode on the pavement and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have them? I don't. And I do Mark not. can't use them because his ears. Yeah, don't they work. don't fit in my ears. Oh. I've just, I've just, you know, I'm trying to save to buy buy a new uh, new MacBook. I, you know, got to get that three grand because I got to get the one terabyte drive and that old that old stuff, right? So do it. You can never have to. Uh, once you have a certain amount of storage, it totally changes your life. Yeah. Well, I, I finally did figure out what what my issues were. I've, I've been wrestling with storage on my Macs for a long, long time, and I forgot that I had Final Cut Pro on them. And Final Cut Pro, once you're finished with a project, you have to get rid of the project otherwise it keeps everything all the caches and all the renders and all that kind of stuff right and it was taking up like 50 gigabytes of space on my on my drive right so now i'm living in the lap of luxury because i took final cut pro off my devices so tim how do you free up space on your developer mac well that brings us to uh are we done with his rants oh i don't know you can always cut it up and reorganize it <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, yeah well my, my only other apple tech rant or question this is more of like mike does somebody know the answer to this so we have these new macbook pros i actually have the late 2016 
MacBook Pro. I noticed that Paul Hudson had a great review of the new MacBook Pro, comparing it exactly to the model I have and comparing it exactly for the thing I care about, which is Swift compile times. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't answer the one burning question in my mind, which is how does the choice of how much RAM you have in the device affect battery life? Right. Because right. I know in theory it does. If you have more RAM, it consumes more electricity. But I don't know if in reality it's significant or not. Do you guys know? Well, let's back up here because I'm interested in the compile times. What 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 difference does it make? I guess if you have more RAM, you get faster compile times. Well, I mean the new. Uh, he was just comparing the new, the Mac new build Pros system. And, and they were and they were faster because right? they have faster CPU, but they also have more RAM. So that's also gonna. I think that would also have an effect. But that's probably not mm-hmm. the most important factor. Um, but yeah, and he goes through the examples. There's a, a there's a YouTube video link. You Google like Paul Hudson MacBook Pro review, you'd find it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you guys have fancy show notes, they put it there. We do. But yeah. but the effect is pretty significant. It, it obviously varies a lot, right? It depends on uh, the actual structure of your code base, what what languages it's in, how easy it is to par- how easy it is to parallelize the the code that's being compiled. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure it would say it is the battery know, question. Minutes. Battery life question is, is an interesting one though. Is mm-hmm. and for sure, uh, you know, each each one of those transistors in there does draw a little bit of power. Uh, but but when it's in a non switching state, it's it's almost nothing. So I think that's pretty insignificant. But but when it's in, it's only when it's in a switching state that it's that it's drawing any real power. So so uh, you could you could argue that well if, if there's more memory and it's switching a lot if you're using it a lot then there's twice as many transistors potentially switching uh, on average and and that's going to draw more power but on the other hand if you if you have if you're using the if you have a 32 gig versus 64 big and you really max gig and you're really maxing it out then it's going to have to do a lot of paging switching stuff out you know going right, to yeah. disk and all that so huh. so I think that would even that would potentially draw even more power on a smaller smaller, smaller uh, size memory. RAM yeah yeah huh. yeah see to me the the I think the big culprit of I would think the big culprit of, of battery usage is the display. Oh, of course, yeah, it's, yeah. that's by far is the biggest. This, yeah, culprit, sure. No, well, so yeah, I kind of wonder. RAM but, usage is a rounding error compared to the display. Then I shouldn't worry about it. Yeah, so it's a real good question. Like mechanical hard drives would have been a big draw for power, right? But now uh-huh, we're on uh-huh. SSDs and they're faster, right? And uh-huh, uh-huh. Less power, more power efficient, right? To get warmer, but or I guess the processor gets warmer. I don't know. That's it. That's it for my rants, though. I, I, I'm just wondering about that question. I haven't seen it addressed anywhere in any of the reviews. Hmm. Well, it's a bit earlier. So you just got the 16-inch, you're saying? I'm thinking about it, but I'm trying to decide um, which RAM configuration to get. Which Mac do you have now? I have the late 2016 MacBook Oh, 2016. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So I have the first one with the the first of the new MacBook, the first one with the new MacBook Pro design. The touch with bar. the touch bar. Yeah, touch bar yeah, yeah, or yeah. USB-Cs. I got the a lot of storage on it after having hobbled along with inadequate storage yeah. on uh, MacBook Airs for a long time. So how much storage do you have on it? Two terabytes. Mm. Really? Wow. Hmm. Well, I, I ended up doing so many weird backflips in order to keep moving around data on that MacBook Air to, to function. It just drove me crazy. And the one thing I knew I absolutely wanted in the next computer was never have to think about storage again. Yeah. 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 What do you think about backup, though? Uh, I just use Backblaze. But, so are you backing up two terabytes of stuff? Ish. What is it now? Well, if you MacBook do it incrementally, it's not. 1.4 terabytes. Yeah. So I have a question about Backblaze because I've kind of, I, I use a competitor product and I've often wondered about this. What do you get for the service with Backblaze? Like, do you pay, is it $5 a month or something like that? Or is it based on the amount of storage? I think it's just uh, per device. So but it doesn't know, matter how much you have on it? No, I don't think so. Really? And do you know? Do you roughly know what you pay per month? Um, I'm sure it's less than 12 but I don't I don't know off the top of my head. Whatever it was, it seemed reasonable at the time that I didn't look back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm paying a lot more than that. All right. Huh. Good to know. So just, just curious. So you're more worried about someone opening your house through HomeKit than you are about storing all your data up in, up in the cloud? Yes, definitely. Interesting. Maybe that's irrational. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, 
guess, yeah, the data in the cloud's encrypted, so it's probably reasonably safe. And it must be backed up somehow. Yeah. Right? Like if somebody walks into his house and steals his Darth Vader helmet, he's lost it, right? Right, yeah, yeah. But if, you know, no, and, steal and, his... and, you know, and there's, you know, if somebody walks in your house while you're there, then who knows what could happen, right? So that's, there's all around badness. You just... well, it depends if you're wearing the Darth Vader, Darth Vader helmet. Well, that's true. Yeah, if you have your lightsaber, then you might be fine. Then I'll never get yeah. it off yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right. So, yeah, we're speaking of talking about speaking of free space let's move to our picks here so so we were talking about this at work the other day um and one of the things that, a couple of things i discovered too is is that uh, and this article does sort of talk about this but i started using uh, i'm still using setup which we I signed up as a test on this podcast about three years ago now um but one of the things that comes with is, is a product called clean my mac and i must use that you know every couple of months if not more and there are a few apps in, in the setup group that i use so so the subscription does pay for itself and they keep adding more and more apps including ulysses as i think somebody mentioned on uh, earlier in the show is, is on there i believe um but so we were talking about uh, the big culprit in our lives, um, maybe not Alexis's lives because he sounds like he's got more data on his device than, than I would know what to do with. But um, for, anyway, coming back to Clean My Mac is, is a great tool for cleaning up, you know, extra system resources and languages that you're not using and freeing up space. And if you delete an old app, like I had to delete Adobe Illustrator the other day, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you more, more about that in a minute, hopefully. Um, it will go in and it'll look at the resources that Adobe Illustrator uses and get rid of all those throughout your system and libraries and all that kind of stuff, too and preferences and things. So it does more than just throw away the file. Um, but when it comes to things like Xcode, Xcode does a whole lot of things. They have your derived data folders. You have all your archived applications. You have all your simulators for all the different um, uh, um, iPhone OSs you've used over the years, right? So you'll have simulators from, you know, iPhone 5s and iPhone 4s and, you know, and so forth, all the way up to the current iPhone 11s and 11 Pros. And uh, so there are a number of scripts out there that will go through and clean these things up. But, but what's interesting about this article that I've posted here is more than just, you know, the, the commands to get rid of the, the things in that bother us about Xcode. It also talks about other things, like if you're a Homebrew user, there's a command here for cleaning up Homebrew. Um, if you're using Git, of course, there's a way to, to clean up your, your Git caches as well, or your Git um, directories as well. For CocoaPods, there's a CocoaPod cache folder that sometimes you need to get rid of just to have your CocoaPods play nice, right? Um, JavaScript stuff in here as well, versions of Node. This is good. Um, this is a good article. Yeah. Yeah. And the Xcode one is 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 cool. Like it talks about the CocoaBot uh, crash or caches. There's the command here, the XC run command to get rid of your the unused um, or unavailable uh, sim uh, simulators, right? Um, like you don't support that iPhone five anymore, so why do you have the simulator on your device? And it take each one of these things takes up megabytes of space, but it adds up to gigabytes when you get down to it. So um, and then you know cleaning up the logs and things like that go along with this. But there are also a couple of cleaning scripts that people have written and put up on GitHub. GitHub that uh, I'll have to find the links to and. I tried one of them out at work today, and I cleaned up about 75 gigabytes of space out of my out of my Xcode folder, right? Just running one of these scripts. So this is one of the ways that a lot of these tips here are, are pretty handy for getting rid of uh, getting rid of that stuff. I noticed that one thing's missing on this is how to get rid of all the, the uh, Final Cut Pro stuff, but that's another story. It's great that this yeah. is all here. When I, when I look at this, I also see this as a um, example of a failure of system design in the sense <laughs> that you know, if computing made sense, there would be a 
yeah. well-defined notion of the place where installed components put their stuff. And then if you wanted yeah. to get rid of the stuff for an installed component, you'd just go to those places and you'd get rid of it and the things would yeah. keep functioning and they'd get new stuff if they need it. But instead, what we, ha- we we see here is that there's, you know, a dozen different kinds of systems you might install, components you might install in your computing system. And every one of them has its own completely esoteric, unguessable, you know, little magic incantation to like clean up its garbage. Yeah. Now, you know, the gods of Unix or the people who originally wrote Unix um, built in daily, weekly, and monthly scripts that run on your, on your devices all the time that go through and cycle your logs and get rid of yeah. old logs you don't need and that kind of stuff anymore. But um, so the plan was there initially. It's just that all the, yeah, the yeah. modern developers, you know, those kids again, right? Unix, Unix was a beautiful dream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, the, all the kids are, are, are not cleaning up after themselves, putting their socks away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, you know, as we move, you know, we move every year, we get the new OS, Mac OS or whatever it is, and we put it on our phone, we get our new Xcode, and we put that in there. And there's no sort of, not part of Xcode is to say, hey, you know, you got this extra 50 gigabytes you're not going to use. Can we get rid of that for you? You know? Well, what's also funny is that some of that should be a command. Like, like the reality is, especially if, when you're doing things that are a little messy, like moving from one version of Xcode to another. I, I, I swore off the um, App Store version uh, a few months Long ago when, ago, when yeah, we were going through you. all these like horrible, uh, you know, teething problems with the new versions of iOS and then the new versions of Xcode. And then they release a version of iOS that you can't build for Xcode. So you have to do weird stuff to like link your old Xcode, your new Xcode. You, you have to not just do a clean build. You have to do a like erase your drive data build. And I felt like I needed to do that every couple of days. So it's not, you know, there, there should be a command for that if, if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. No, I'm totally with you. That's that, uh, definitely some, some homework for somebody over at Apple. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. We still have the shell though. you can like, create your alias for it and then away you go. <laughs> yeah. I just got two gigs by running the uh, XE run SIM control delete unavailable. Yeah, guys, cool. I have 644 gigs by having a big drive. On your Xcode? On my MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what I'm saying, though, is your... Uh, oh, you have six gigs free. I have 640 gigs free, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just enjoying my never-have-to-worry-about-a-storage-again lifestyle as long as it lasts. Well, I have, I have a yeah. Drobo, and it's the same sort of story with the Drobo. That's where my archives live. And, um, you know, I've, I, every couple of years I have to throw a two-terabyte drive in it, but other than that, you know, yeah, it's, I think I've probably I've got virtually sixteen gigabytes of sixteen terabytes of space. Um, but I think I'm only you know a couple of hundred gigabytes into it. That sounds great. Nice. Yeah. Trebos used to be uh, quite fashionable. I don't hear as much praise for them lately. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, 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 this this one I've got is a workhorse from like you know ten years ago, I think at least. Anyway, um, Alexis, you have a you have a pick, couple of picks for us. So why don't you? Hit us up? I, I got a whole bunch of picks. I wasn't sure how many picks to do, so I thought I'd just uh, uh-huh. pick things I've been enthusiastic about. But we always lately. tease Greg because Greg always used to come with two or three picks so you can outdo greg you're you'll be fine all right i got four picks so i'm gonna like blow them away i'm one up on you greg if you ever listen to this his ears are twitching right now so i think you gave me a hint this might be a repick that someone else made but it's so well it's, it it's a, it's to be a variation again. of a pick yeah a variation there's a book called the apollo guidance computer and it's all about the hardware and software architecture of the computer that was put on the uh apollo missions uh and i don't know much about computer architecture like i haven't spent a lot of time thinking about all the ways you could build a computer if you were deciding uh, how things work at the hardware level. So it goes into that and that was like interesting for me. And then there's just 
um, the kind of fantastic like complexity and performance of this device. Like it was the first for a lot of things. I think it was the first for uh, complete use of integrated circuits. I think it was the first for the kind of miniaturization that you could do um, with integrated circuits. Apparently, it was the first uh, computer that w- was not in any way processing batch jobs, or it would like process a job and then it would be done and it would have a rest and you talk to it later. But it was it needed to be a kind of high of uptime interactive system where it would always be running and the astronauts could do commands, you know, give commands to it and it would respond and it would be available. Mm-hmm. Um, it had high concurrency demands because it's, you know, making sure the spaceship uh, steers itself properly and it's monitoring systems on the spaceship while it's responding to user input. So when you think about all the requirements it had, they're, they're quite significant and they were very significant at the time. It was the first to do a lot of these things and the book just goes into glorious detail on all of this. So I highly recommend the uh, Apollo Guidance Computer book if, if anyone's interested in it. Does it talk about Margaret called, Hamilton's work in it at all? It, they do talk about Margaret Hamilton's work. Um, Interesting. This reminds me, I'll throw in a bonus pick, so now I'm going to get, the, the book's called The Apollo Guidance Computer, Architecture and Operation. I'll throw mm-hmm. in a bonus book that didn't occur to me, but when I was getting really into the this book on the Apollo Guidance Computer, there's a... Um, BBC podcast series called, I think, 11 Minutes to the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also, or maybe it's like 13 Minutes to the Moon. It's all about the Apollo 11 project, the one that landed on the moon. And the structure of the podcast series is it is about 10 episodes and it goes through everything you need to know in order to be able to understand all of the uh, communication tra- traffic back and forth between the astronauts and mission control as they're actually doing the landing and the final stages. Right. So all of the kind of incomprehensible technical gobbledygook, if you if you follow along with this podcast, you can then listen to the whole thing and understand it. And they have, uh, if I recall correctly, interview with Margaret Hamilton, uh, wow. so, sort of an amazing legend like there's this charming photo of her uh when she was uh you know i guess during the project standing next to a giant pile of books which was like all the code no, it's actually the print out of her code yeah 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 well not just her code she's managing like 200 300 people to get all this stuff done by the end of it really? they had this typical problem where they realized okay we need to make this computer it'll need to have all these innovations okay let's go with this design all right and they're kind of planning it out and then you know later than would have been ideal they realized oh wait we're gonna have to write a lot of software too and the software is going to be very hard so uh, the I, I highly recommend this podcast to anyone who's interested about it at all. It goes into not just the sort of technology of it, but the uh, kind of organizational dimensions, the social dimensions of it, like what kind of people they recruited into the program, how they did interviews, uh, how the software teams ran differently from the hardware teams. The software teams were all like hippies who were doing war protests in MIT and Harvard. Mm-hmm. And then they'd like, you know, get tear gassed in the day at some war protests and they show up the next day and be working on Apollo stuff. And the <laughs> The hardware teams were run in a different way. There was a lot more kind of uh, kind of command and control environment around it. It's fascinating. Uh, it's totally totally cool podcast, and you should. And and this book also goes into great detail if you're if you're interested in stuff. I I, cool. I, I uh, you know I look at this book or I hear that podcast, and I think like these were real heroes doing something really amazing with with computing technology, and we should we should aspire to do things that have the same kind of um, difficulty and significance. Have you watched the other Apollo Eleven movie? It came out last year. Um, it was in which the one is that? First Man? No, no. There's a movie called Apollo 11. It's basically they they, they unarch, unarch some. Oh yeah, no, footage. I did see that. I saw that. That yeah, was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a 
and that's a really good one if you can to watch on a really big screen. Yeah, um, you need a subwoofer for the launch. Yeah, I, I saw <laughs> it at a uh, at one of the Alamo Drafthouse theaters out in Austin, Texas, when I was there on a really big screen with my son, and it was it, it gives you a really visceral sense of what um, sort of just awesome, mind bending accomplishment it was that we've been to the moon. Yeah, yeah, because the interesting thing about it back then is you know how big the Saturn V rocket was, right? There was a, a ratio between the amount of fuel that you would have to carry to lift something that heavy and break Earth's gravity. And that's why it was so giant at that point in time. That's where the technology was, right? Um, so there's, there's this really strange math that they figured out to, to get this thing off the ground. And if you watch a, a space shot, if you watch like, you know, any of the SpaceX stuff or, you know, the stuff that um, uh, the te- Tesla guy's doing, what's um, Elon Musk Elon and, Musk. and all those kind of guys. And you watch, even if you watch a shuttle launch, right? They take a few, they take like, you know, 30 seconds or whatever to, to get into orbit. But back then, this Saturn V rocket took like at least three minutes to get up that high. And when you watch this movie, I, I, I got my my subwoofer out and I dusted it off and plugged it in the basement here so I could, because I have the movie on iTunes and I play it with the subwoofer turned on and it just shakes the house. Like it's just an amazing amount of, of noise, right? So, All right. So that's my two, two moon oriented picks. Um, cool. Another pick, uh, this, is a, this one's a bit random. Uh, I was listening to Marginal Revolution podcast, which is, which is great. Um, it's got by this uh, economist, Tyler Cowan, who's quite a kind of polymath. And he was interviewing a music critic named Ted Joya, who I'd never heard of before. Uh, he's, but I don't know much about music. Apparently he's a leading music critic. And, and Ted Joya mentioned it every year. He, he spends like, you know, three to four hours every day listening to new music. And then at the end of the year, he produces this list of the best new music of that year. So if you have some hardcore music nerd who's been spending four hours every day listening to all the new music he can find and writes books on it, and then at the end of the year, he writes a list mm-hmm. of what he thinks the best new music is of the year. I think, well, I, I want, I don't want to have to like look at that list. I want that on an Apple playlist. And I went looking around and it's on Spotify playlists and I couldn't find an Apple one, but then somewhere in a, in a cranny corner of the internet, I did find it. So it's this Apple music playlist of Ted Joya's best music from 2018. And I've been listening to it and it's great. It's quite varied. It's interesting stuff. But if you, uh, if you're on Apple music and not on Spotify and you feel left out from all the uh, fun playlists that the Spotify people have, I recommend this one. It's nice. Nice. Cool. Looking at it right now. All right. Uh, and, uh, two more. I, I remember last time I was on the podcast, I was talking about uh, suddenly getting interested in health and nutrition in a way that was quite surprising to me. Um, I've been I've been marching along in this health and nutrition kick, and I've been I've, I've moved from um, monitoring my diet to uh, lifting weights under barbells, uh, something I never expected to be doing, and worrying about my sleep. And so, since I'm a, a iOS nerd, I've of course have found the nerdiest possible way to do this. Um, the, and I've and I looked at various uh, apps people use to keep track of exercises when they're doing strength training. And I'd recommend uh, an app called Gym Book. There's a lot of apps that have some support for logging exercises if you're trying to get stronger and keep track of like what motions you did when. The thing I liked about this app is it's very reasonably priced. It's not like six dollars a month. It's like a one-time cost of like twelve bucks. And then it seems to have support for every Apple technology you could imagine. There's like an iPhone version. There's an iPad version. It's very clean, nice design that sort of follows um, the iOS user interface paradigms and models. The guy didn't like beam down from graphics programming and like create his own user interface. It feels like a nice user interface. Has support for HealthKit. If you're if you're looking for an app like that, then it's, I say Gym Book's a nice app. Cool. And if you're also getting curious about tracking your sleep, maybe to recover from exercise or just because sleep's important, I have this doodad called an Ura Ring, and it has a very nice iOS app. I wouldn't recommend it if it were just a cool ring. <laughs> it has a great app, and you get these little charts that show you um, how long you were sleeping, and it shows you the phase of sleep you were in. And I know that uh, if you like Google around on how good is the tracking that that, that is actually 
actually done by things like this ring or things like the Apple Watch or Fitbit or sleep. You know, it seems like these things try, but sometimes the accuracy is not really that good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how good it is for everybody, but through a weird quirk of fate, I actually ended up getting a full-on medical polysomnograph test uh, two nights ago mm-hmm. where I had all sorts of equipment hooked up to me, like $4,000 worth of equipment that uh, produced a hopefully very accurate and authoritative measure of my sleep, like different sleep stages, like REM sleep versus light sleep versus deep sleep. So I was actually able to look at one graph produced by the expensive medical equipment right next to the thing that came out of the Ura ring, which is, you know, a $200 ring. And the Ura ring is pretty good. It's not perfect, but it, it wasn't bad. So it's not only a good iOS app, it seems like reasonably accurate data. So if you're interested in this sort of thing and understanding what makes you sleep better or worse, I'd recommend that too. Do you know how the ring works? Uh, so it has a motion detector, mm-hmm. as everything does now, because those are low power and, and accurate. It has a little camera that is um, basically, I think, looking at your finger and from that it can infer your pulse. So it's measuring yeah. your heart rate and then it's also measuring heart rate variability continuously, which mm-hmm. I think the um, Apple Watch doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also measuring temperature. I think mm-hmm. that's it. So temperature, motion, and pulse. And I think from that it tries to infer breathing rate and restlessness. So when you want to see how you slept, it is keeping track of a number of things. It'll tell you how long you took to fall asleep, like going to bed versus falling asleep. It tells you if you were moving a lot in a way that indicates you're awake. It, it is trying to infer what your sleep stages were. That's probably the dodgiest part, but it seemed pretty good when I checked it against this base, against this other data set. And then it also tells you about, uh, how, you know, how your heart rate changed over the night. But I noticed things that I didn't know, know before. Like if I drink before going to bed, then I sleep worse. Or if I eat before going to bed, then I sleep worse. And you, cause it's one thing to sort of be told this and know it theoretically. It's another thing to wake up in the morning and see like a line chart that shows it to you in a very mm. concrete way. So mm. I found it uh, interesting. So two things about this. One, there's a guy at work who wears one of these things. So he's totally busted. They're not telling me about this. <laughs> uh, and how do you charge it? It has an inductive charger. So there's a little platform it comes with that you can just uh, put it onto. So it's basically a little round circular surface with what looks like a pedestal in the center, mm-hmm. but you don't put the ring on the pedestal. You put the ring around the pedestal and okay. it sits there for, I don't know, 15 minutes and then it's charged for about a week. Really? Wow. Yeah. And it's waterproof. And it's like 200 bucks you said, right? Uh, it's 200 or 300. I think they have some discounts. So I think I got it when it was a bit cheaper. Um, un- I, the one thing I'd say is it's a little bigger than I'd want it to be. Yeah. Uh, it's not horrible, but it's not probably the style I'd choose if I were you know, going to wear a ring for aesthetic purposes. It was silver or black one? I got the black shiny one. I would have got the black matte one, except whenever I was buying it, that one cost more. So I just yeah. went for the cheaper one. Yeah, do you wear it all the time or do you take it off when you're not sleeping? Do you only wear it when I you wear sleep? it all the time. Yeah. Um, just because I was sort of curious about it. It also tracks your activity during the day. Uh-huh. I don't know how accurately it does. I don't know if an Apple Watch would be better or whatnot, but it's it's there and it doesn't bother me. What'll be interesting is if someone figures out how to do continuous glucose monitoring. Mm. Uh, yeah. I've, been, I've yeah. been getting into the podcast this uh, medical doctor named Peter Atia who is really into this stuff and he wears this what's what's called a CGM or a continuous glucose monitor and I think those have gotten more miniature and more efficient and then you can see how uh, you know when you eat some food it has an effect on your blood sugar that maybe you didn't realize or that'll be cool but I think we're a long way from that being um, you know cheap and consumer and comfortable interesting how, so how long have you been wearing the ring I've probably been wearing it a month or so now oh okay okay just new maybe maybe a bit longer no wait maybe, maybe like two months and it has good integration with health kit so for instance uh, if you say use Gym Book, right? The other app, and mm-hmm. log the fact that you did a workout. The 
And that'll put an entry in the HealthKit database saying, hey, I did a workout, and maybe it could even indicate how many calories you burned, depending on what kind of workout you did, if you're doing, I don't know, jogging or something that's more calorie-oriented. And then the uh, Ura app will see the entry that was put in the HealthKit database and account for that when it is uh, seeing if you've met some activity goal in the day. And I think it'll also mm-hmm. account for that as part of its general program of like pep talks and advice. So it's say like, well, you know, in the beginning, when you set up the ring, you said that you were interested in maximizing your athletic performance. And I can see here that you, this day you should rest and recover because you didn't sleep well, or this, or you are, or this day you're, you don't need to because you've met your activity goals. So it's, it's trying to integrate stuff and it's got a reasonably nice UI. It also has a um, web UI you can go to where you could go absolutely nuts with the data if you want to. Um, mm. I'm kind of just, it's interesting because in some sense it's not, it's telling you things that you probably, probably someone could already tell you, like you might want to sleep more and you might not want to stare at bright screens and drink booze immediately before going to bed. So I could see the argument that everything it's saying, you don't need a $200 ring to tell you, but there's something about uh, it all being a little more concrete and looking numerical and more specific that makes all these messages more believable. Like when you wake up in the morning and you like look at your phone and then you see a chart of how well you slept and you can connect that to what you did the day before. It feels more oh yeah, interesting. empirical. Huh. Interesting. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I just, I just wonder if you've actually thought about the fact that if you didn't buy the Aura ring, you probably could have bought the AirPods Pro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Oh, man. Tim's, Tim's cruel streak is exposed. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll think on that. I'll think on that. But think of how much better you are for having the ring. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Uh, Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And Alexis, if people want to get in touch with you? Uh, I'm trying email again. So you could always send me an email at Alexis at Alexis Gallagher. All right. Okay, cool. And as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. Twitter is the best place to find me. And until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is Mike Van Ogmans, MTJC's favorite voiceover artist for some reason. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Catching up with you guys. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Bye-bye. Yep. Sorry about that uh, jab there, but. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Economy. Economy is important. <laughs> so where are you working these days? Are you still at um, the glasses place? I still am at the glasses place. Although I hired a um, VP of engineering mm-hmm. recently. I'm very happy uh, to have to, uh, this fellow joined and working with him. So. Does that mean that there's less, like you're, you're able to, you freed yourself up for other things or? Yes. I'm hoping to divert more energy into some of our machine learning projects and some more kind of longer time scale projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool.
Yeah. And we've, uh, we, we've been rolling out into retail. So uh, as of like a few months, uh, maybe a month or two ago, we, we now have a iPad app that's deployed in retail lo- in about a dozen retail locations and hopefully more to come soon. Also oh, people can, can go in and get sized and you know, in yeah. like at a So it's a different process. UX because the, um, iPad apps operated by opticians. Oh, right. So, ah, so okay. It's not direct, it's not direct to consumer and it, uh, uses the depth sensor always and it makes very accurate measurements of things like the distance between your pupils. Really? Yeah, yeah, bigger yeah. screen. Yeah. yeah, I wondered about that because because you know if I like we have this uh, company we can I can get you know get my pres- prescription from my doctor but or from the optometrist but they they always ask for the distance between your pupils I never get that from my optometrist right so uh, that's because he's trying to like hold on to your business probably yeah oh because he knows the the secret formula to how yeah I think yeah, he's so obliged to for him he's obliged to vend uh, to provide you with your prescription at least in the U S but he's not technically obliged to provide your PD as we oh, okay. very distance in the business but you know of course you needed to do anything. So my taking a ruler to the bathroom and looking in the mirror and trying to guess what my distance is is not an accurate way to do it? Um, it's probably not accurate enough. Uh, it'll matter more for if you have progressive lenses as opposed to single vision. But yeah, right. that's not a great way to do it. Mm. Yeah, well. Jim, the best way is to take a pin. And stick it in my eye. Two of what, yeah, shove, shove <laughs> and a string, piece of string. And a piece of string. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really. Or do a Fourier transform between them. Right. Mm-hmm. If anyone's still listening to the show, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they said on that yeah, show. they said on MTJC. Yeah. Ugh. So we were joking about what awards we could give away for MTJC here, Alexa. I don't know if you saw that on Alexa. See, I did it again. I know. Alexis. Uh, Jeez. I'm not a bot. <laughs> yeah. What sort of what awards do? do you have in mind? Well, we were, uh, where's my Slack on? Oh, I don't have Slack on here on this machine. Hmm. Well, I, don't, I don't know if you heard, but before the show, I started, I went to reboot my Mac to make sure it was all clean and ready for the show. And then it decided it had to install a bunch of updates. Oh, right, um, right, right, right. I saw uh, that thread. I'm using my backup Mac, so. Yeah, we're, you know, I started off with best newsletter, best conference, best podcast, best developer tool, right? The coolest developer. And then best progressive rock band, because we always seem to go off on that tangent. Right? Best guitarist that, that with a take-out food discussion. hat. That could be a long discussion. Best guitarist with a takeout food hat. That one's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then somebody, somebody Mark put uh, best uh, Canadian coffee shop. And then but I put best burrito. It's got to be best bad Canadian coffee shop, right? That's a hands down. We know who that one is, right? Yeah. But best burrito that we've we had an argument about that one before too, right? Did we see this a post lot, about that? This is, this is a argue. lot of uh, this is a lot of entries to fill. But the, the Taqueria, the, what's the one we went to in um, near you near Fries? That's my favorite one. Is uh, Taqueria Los Pericos? They should give uh, me a free burrito for the for the uh, free advertising <laughs> I just did for the one guy who's going to go this year because he heard the show <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it was probably me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe we can make it a thing when people come to WWDC. I take them to Taqueria Los Pericos. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. experience the proper burrito. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that wasn't one. This is this wasn't this year. This must have been years, a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, that yeah. They, there was a nationwide report on the top like, hundred burritos or whatever, and the one that won was one that I think is you know good. But yeah, it, it's uh, Alexis. You might know it. It's in San Francisco. It's uh, La, Can- La Cantina in San Francisco. Yeah, no, I think I've heard of it. I don't think I've yeah, been there. that one won this 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 particular survey of best burrito in the country. Hmm. What other awards could we do that differentiate us from everybody? else best apple tv show (laughs) there's not that many to choose from huh not that many to choose from have you have you seen have you been watching apple tv uh i just saw the well obviously i saw the space one and i saw the um, news one are are there a bunch of others yeah there's uh well the the 
M. Night Shyamalan one just came out uh, yesterday or two days ago. There's three episodes up for that one already. Oh. Yeah, it's called The Servant. I've been kind of waiting to see if I'm going to buy an iPhone because then I'll get all the Apple TV and Apple Yeah, stuff yeah, that's, that's the trick, right? So I wonder if that's going to work next year, though. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's okay. I mean, I can, I can see why they're giving it away for free because I, you know, if I had to pay for this, I'd be like, I've already watched all the shows that I can watch, you know, and I'm not really interested in anything else. I've watched like four C I've watched. I've watched um, The Morning Show and I've watched the For All Mankind, which I'm still mad about the title. But um, Why? Because there's a great movie called For All Mankind by Al Reinhardt, who, which, and it was using the narrated by the astronauts who actually went to the moon. Mm. Yeah. Oh, really? So they just like squatted on the name? Yeah, they just grabbed the name. I guess they, I guess he didn't have it, you know. Well, I mean, For All Mankind is like it's part of the plaque, right? On the first, uh, yeah. first mission. So they, I guess he didn't really have a sort of copyright that. And, and there's nothing to stop you. And it seems in movies, there's nothing to stop you from calling. Like you could make a movie called Some Like It Hot Tomorrow and, and nobody would freak out, hmm. which is ironic, you know, or Sound of Music, you know. Uh, and we don't recommend it, by the way, for those of you driving at home, but <laughs> it does happen. Best pick, best fact check, Hardware, best yeah. Mac software. Oh, you got the list there? Yeah, I just pulled it up. This is a lot best of follow-up. This is an expression of um, real kind of good spirits and benevolence to see this many bests in the world. Probably mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as opposed to the top-selling apps that Apple will you know, yeah. promote. <laughs> Interesting that they chose that uh, Affinity Publisher as the best app. Well, so, I think they're oh, trying to push against the you know iPads are toys for consumption vibe. Oh right, right. Yeah, because it is multi-platform, right? But that's a Mac uh, Mac app though. Oh, was it? Yeah, best Mac app. They said. Oh. Yeah, that's why I said it's an unusual choice. Because what do you think the best Mac app would be? I'm sure the most popular one's Photoshop, probably. No, could it be? The best Depends on what Apple's Apple criteria Mac is. App? That is a tough one. Does best mean like most widely used and very good, or can it be a niche thing? Well, go back to the, the article and have a look. They got their little blurb here. Um, the best app for iPhone was the uh, the Spectre camera app. Yeah, Ben Sandowski's app. So that also, yeah. I think, is the only one here that's actually you could call an indie app, and then it's produced by like one or two people working together. Mm-hmm. I do have a motion blur app. Do I have Spectre? About something this when is I was an in AI the... powered motion blur app. Hmm? But this yeah, is AI, an yeah. AI powered motion blur app. Yeah, I did buy a, I did buy a motion app for um, my phone, but I think it just like uses video to glom them together. Oh, sh- slow shutter. You know this flow by Moleskin app, iPad app? No. Yeah, I don't either. I guess it's, it's like a note-taking thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of uh, apps like this that are note-taking. But Apple Notes is kind of Sherlocking everybody that does this kind of stuff too, though. It does seem that way. Yeah. I quite like Notability. For a while, I was uh, really trying to make it work with uh, Microsoft's uh, note-taking app. What's it called? OneNote. Mm-hmm. It has some features that Notability lacks, but it's not quite 100% stable, and Notability just like gets you there really quickly. Mm-hmm. So Apple's description of Affinity pu- Publisher is uh, this elegant user experience and remarkably reasonable price point. Right. And that's a jab at uh, the other people. Yeah, that does seem like a shot across the bow at uh, Adobe. Because even Cork Express, Cork Express, which was the original, you know, best desktop app, um, desktop publishing app, was um, around $800 to buy every couple of years. But now they've gone to sub- subscription pricing as well. And of course, Adobe with in- InDesign is the other, the other guys. We talked to the, the, the uh, general manager, I think, uh, for Affinity on Roundabout podcast about this and, and designer and and, uh, affinity photo. I bought this the other day. Did you? What, what deals did you guys get for Black Friday? Did you get anything? I didn't. Although I thought about getting the HomePod, but I was too lazy. Yeah, but it was, the HomePod it was, was on sale from Apple. No, no, from Best Buy. Best Buy, yeah, Best Buy. Seventy two hundred. Now I'm thinking I should have got it, but I don't know. I guess I yeah, I am too. I already I'm have second my guessing echo thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. I was yeah. hoping there would be deeper discounts on the older Apple watches, but um, they had a sort of sort of a discount on the new one, but not the older ones. Well, I had Series Four, right here in Canada. They had like a fifty dollars gift really? card with Series that one. 
one? I thought they totally discontinued that. So they were still selling three and then then five, four was gone. Oh, huh. I was dis- disappointed it was no... I would have bought an iPhone Pro, if 11 Pro, if they had uh, any kind of discount on it, probably. So you're going for the... You'd go for the Pro, not the 11? Yeah. I, well, I have both of them at, at the office and I've played around with the... I take a lot of photos with my phone, so the wide angle really appeals to me. Yeah, so, I can do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm still rocking an old the... iPhone 7. Hmm? I still have an old iPhone 7, so maybe it's not unreasonable for me to get a new phone. Yeah, I think it's what time. You, you haven't enjoyed uh, the wonders of Face ID yet. No. Well, I, I have my iPad Pro that I use all the time, so. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, but the, uh, the difference with the iPad Pro's Face ID is you can be lying on your side and still open your your device. Yeah, with the iPhone, you have to be you have to be holding it like perfectly upright. Mm. You can't be lying on the couch and open your phone. That's the most annoying thing about it. But I mean, you can always enter the passcode too, right? So I don't know. I've, I've never had an issue with that. Can't you just rotate the phone? <laughs> and your face? <laughs> you don't have to rotate your face. No, if you're if you're lying with your face sideways, right? All you have to you do can't... is make sure that the vertical axis of the phone is aligned with the vertical axis of your face. That works for you? Yeah. Never works for me. Okay, you're getting all fancy with I th- axes. I think, I think there's a... Actually, I think, there's, <laughs> I think there's a setting you probably have turned off. I have a setting there's to a... Well, turn that setting off, and then it'll work for you. I don't know. No, no there, there's a setting to turn that off now that it's face ID. Hang on. I'm going to enter a one password. So what do you think the odds are that one of the good listeners will know the answer to the mystery of whether you can use a Nintendo Switch Pro controller with a Apple TV and iOS devices? Mm. I think the chances are pretty good that Jaime will. Okay. <laughs> well, make sure he listens. Yeah. <laughs> he will. He'll listen. He'll listen. Yeah. Um, I thought there's, I'm pretty sure there was a, um, a thing where you could have it not work on sideways, but is that the require full attention? Is that the one maybe I'm thinking of? Require attention face ID? Additional level secure of security? Hmm. Anywho. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for uh, another week. We'll uh, thank Alexis for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, Alexis. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Our pleasure. We'll, we'll have I you will, again, uh, I'm sure. Tim, by the way, I've got all the security stuff turned on for Face ID. Yeah. Require attention is on. Attention order features are is on. Yeah. You may have a face that is has like a 90 degree symmetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> that's the other that's the uh-huh. that's the other possible explanation. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. See you guys later. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.